uh, several weeks ago, really, really, we started at the beginning, looking at Genesis 3 and, and really the fall of, um, the, the fall of man and kind of the reason that we're called to live sent really starts back all the way to the garden where uh, we see that they're sent out of the garden. Um, they're sent away from, because of their sin, they're sent out of the garden. And now that begins really the story of redemption, the story of God making uh, right what was broken in the garden. And uh, we started there. We looked at that uh, the first week, kind of the reason why we need to live sin is because of sin in our world. But then we looked kind of at that next step of looking at some of these key figures and these key callings throughout Scripture. And so the next step is going to Genesis 12 and Abraham. And we basically said our premise that week was we've been blessed to be a blessing. Um, God blesses us, and so then we're to take what God has blessed us with, and we're to be a blessing. Uh, we look to, uh, to join in on God's mission of redemption. And so he calls us, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm raising up a people, specifically the people of Israel, uh, starting with Abraham, who didn't even have any kids. I mean, he's, he's well up in age, and yet he's given this great promise that, hey, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. But all the people of the world are going to be blessed through you. And so that's where uh, we looked at a couple weeks ago. Then last week, we looked at the calling of Moses and how when we're living sin, we're to recognize need. We pay attention to the needs around us. And that's exactly what we see in that story is God hears the cries of his people. He sees their suffering. And so what does he do? He pulls in Moses to himself and he says, Moses, I want you to go. And, and like, like most of us, when we're called to do something sometimes, we're like, surely there's someone else. And so he has all of his excuses. Surely someone else can do that. Someone's better equipped. Someone else can do this. But yet God chose Moses. Like, he didn't have to choose Moses. He didn't have to use anyone, right? He could have just gone. He could, he, he's going to change the heart of Pharaoh anyway. He hardens it, and he opens it to say, let my people go, and eventually he does. But yet he was using this instrument called Moses to be the one who was to go. And so we're, to, we're talking about recognizing need around us. But I think another one of these characters, each one of these, you could kind of think of, a, you know, Moses, Ten Commandments, right? If you hear Daniel, what do you think of? You think of the lion's den, right? We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We think of a fiery furnace, being thrown into a fiery furnace, and yet somehow they survive while even the guards die outside of this fiery furnace. Even when we think of De David, we think of this shepherd boy turned giant slayer. Um, if we think of Zacchaeus, what do you think of? Short guy, right? <laughs> but a sycamore tree, right? Exactly. We think of Jesus meets uh, uh, Zacchaeus. We think of, I mean, Noah, naturally. We're like, flood. Uh, and that's what I think the kids are talking about upstairs today was Noah. But then there's this certain character, Jonah. And most people, when you hear the name Jonah, what do you think of? You think of a big giant fish or whale. And we're not going to try to solve that debate today. Was it a whale or was it a giant fish? Uh, whatever it was, it, it swallowed Jonah whole. And, but when we look at these stories, uh, what we think of, and, and like, at least for me, like when, with my children, right? So we, we have uh, children's Bibles, and uh, when we read these stories, Levi's favorite story is Jonah. He loves this story. It was, he, he literally, like, we had the storybook Bible, and so we would, we read it. It was like there for a while, it was a nightly routine for like at least a month or maybe a year. I don't know. We, I feel like we read the story of Jonah like a hundred times. 
and you're like, you don't know math. Okay, 365 times we did every time. Every, <laughs> but anyways, right, we, we, we would read this story, and so Levi loved this story, and so we would get him to tell the story, and he'd be able to literally, like, quote, like, you're looking at the book, and he would just, like, literally, he's just telling the story. But I want us to see that Jonah, this story is beyond a children's book story. There is so much that we could learn, and we're not going to do it all today. It's only four chapters. Uh, but each of these chapters, it's really easy to outline. It's an easy outline. You could do different, there's been done tons of different ways to outline this book. There's a lot you could learn about God. You could focus on the theology of God in this story and just look at how God works, his providence, his sovereignty, how he's working and active in his creation. There's lots of ways we could look at this. But here's the reality, because you hear that story, I mean, right? I mean, like, a dude was swallowed by a giant fish. So then naturally, I think we would be like, okay, is this really happen? Is this a, just a, a fable? We'll see, for one, Scripture itself treats it as a historical person in a historical place. Jesus in the New Testament would refer to, he referred to in connecting his own resurrection from the dead, his death, burial, and then being uh, dead for three days and then rising on the third. He compared that to Jonah in the belly of the fish and this giant fish for three days. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 14, we find out really the time period of Jonah uh, serving as a prophet. It was about 750 years before Jesus would come onto the scene. He served under Jeroboam II. And Jonah really when we talk about this, it's a real life story and it has real life people in real life places. And if you look, if you have a Bible there, turn with me. So Jonah, use whatever device or whatever way you can get uh, the scripture in front of you. We're going to look at really this whole, whole book in one uh, message uh, this, this morning. So if you have a Bible, Jonah, we'll start in chapter one. And what we're going to see in chapter one is as we see right here, let's just read it together, these first few verses. It says, Now the word of the Lord came. So he's a prophet. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So to give you a picture first, I mean, obviously we hear, again, another real-life picture. We're saying Jonah, he's the son of Amittai. He's uh, he's a child, he's a person, he's a historical figure. It's not just a made-up story. We're saying he has a dad and he was a real prophet during a real king. And even to this day, we know that Nineveh, uh, current day, would be in current day Iraq near Mosul. I think that's how you say Mosul. I'm not sure. M-O-S-U-L. I remember all the, all the, the battles and different things going on and, and uh, um, trying to take over that area even in the past 20 years. Um, but this real life picture, because what happened is they've, they've, archaeologists have come in and excavated, and they've excavated a lot, and they've actually reconstructed some of the walls of Nineveh from, because they have these giant pieces, and so they've kind of reconstructed uh, this, this historical place called Nineveh. It was really the, the, the major city of the Assyrian Empire, which was a great um, and harsh people. The Assyrians were brutal. Uh, the Assyrians were known... As an evil people, they would take their enemies and they would, they would really, they would skin them alive and they would take their skin and they would put it on the walls of their city, basically to scare off uh, their enemies saying, look, this is what we'll do to you if you mess with us. I mean, they were a brutal people. And did you hear, did you hear, like, can you imagine you being that prophet and God says, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So I want to say, I mean, think about this. Just put this in some modern day, we'll even go back a few, a few decades, and then we'll put it even in the modern day. And it'd be like a Jewish person going into Berlin in the 1940s and saying, hey, you need to repent of your sin and trust in God. I mean, that's a sure death sentence. I mean, it would be like right now, today, a Christian walking the streets of Kabul and saying, repent of your, in Afghanistan, repent of your sins, Taliban. Trust in Jesus as the only way for salvation, not in Muhammad or in Allah. Like, trust in Yahweh, the one true God. I mean, that's a, naturally, you would think that's a death sentence waiting to happen. You're going to be tortured and killed immediately. And so naturally, we'd think, I mean, like, I mean, none of us, you're like, you'd want to be like Moses, right? You're like, someone else want to sign up for this job, not me. And so we find out he runs. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So think about this. So Nineveh would have been about 500 miles for him to travel to get to Nineveh to the west. Tarshish was about 2,500 miles to the east. Literally, he's like, I don't know. I'm going anywhere but Nineveh. And so he runs from the Lord. It tells us that he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them. Uh, And so sure enough, he gets on this boat and he's running from the Lord. But what I want us to do this morning, because we can, there's a lot of different directions we could go, but really I want to just try to look at, and as you have your notes, you're probably like me, trying to figure out what's the answer, you know, the answer key already. At least that's how I function when I have those uh, in front of me. So I want us to learn a few lessons uh, from this story of Jonah. And then really I want to say like, okay, here's the lessons. Like what's our response? How do we respond to uh, this story? And specifically looking at it from a life of living sin and specifically today running from calling. So I want to look at lesson number one. Lesson number one we see really is all of chapter one. It says, so we're putting down here, when we avoid God's calling, so when we avoid, so avoid there, when we avoid God's calling, we deny people the hope of salvation. Now this, again, when I say this book, I want to be careful when you, when you put phrases down, like, and you're trying to say like, this is true in every circumstance, for one, I want to state, first of all, I believe that God is sovereign and that he is drawing people to himself. But I also know that God chooses to use people to do that. He calls us. That's why we have the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Here he's saying, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh to call them to repent of their, their sin because they're evil a nation and I'm going to destroy them. But if you go and, 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 and if they repent... I'm going to turn from my wrath. And so, but here's the thing. I mean, look at it. So here's how it goes. I mean, think about this. So Jonah is in on this boat, right? Away, from, and it tells us specifically, away from the presence of the Lord in verse, um, in verse three. But look at verse four. But the Lord hurled. Again, we could see the sovereignty of God here. Even the Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea. So maybe these, these men, when they left that day to go 2,500 miles from where Jonah was, he gets on this boat. They didn't know there was probably a hurricane or something out there that was about to destroy him. But we know God actively working even in the storm. And it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. So I mean, all these sailors are afraid, and each cried out to his God. So they're crying out like, 
if there's a God out there, I mean, like each of them have maybe have a different God, a very pluralistic uh, view of uh, God and, and deity, and they cry out to their God, and they hurl the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from the, for them. But Jonah, notice this, look at Jonah. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Here he is, he's in the bottom of the ship. He is running from the Lord. God has said, go to Nineveh. He gets on a boat and he has the audacity to even just go to sleep. Like, I'm chilling. Like, I'm gonna go to the bottom of this, this ship and I'm just gonna chill my way all the way and hopefully God never notices. And so, and so but notice what happened. He has the answer. He has even the answer for this situation. We're gonna see, look at verse six. So the captain comes down, he came down and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? <laughs> like, what in the world are you doing? Like, do you not notice that we're going crazy here? We're throwing cargo, we're screaming, we're terrified for our life. Do you not feel the ship is about to break apart? And he comes down and he says, what do you mean, you sleeper, arise? Hey, you need to also call, I mean, we could talk about idolatry and, 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 and um, even from these mariners, there's so much to learn here. But he says, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, let me ask you this question. Does Jonah believe in the one true God who, is the, who has the power to stop a storm, to cause a storm, to do, uh, to do no harm or to do harm? Like, does Jonah really believe that God has all power and all authority over all of creation? Yes, he does. But where is he? He's asleep in the, in the bottom of the boat. He has the answer to rescue even these people. And he's like, mm-mm. Because he could call out. He could call out to his God and say, God, will you? He could at least try. <laughs> he could throw some desperate prayers. I'm sure we've all done a few of those before in our, in our life already. And so it says in verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And man, God's even working in this casting of lots. The lot falls on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And you're like, I mean, I've been asked that a few times. I even got that yesterday when we were talking to those people at, at, towards the end of the day. You know, oh, the guy's asking me, like, oh, what do you do? I say, pastor. Usually the, like, the face sometimes is either like, oh, that's awesome. Or you're like, hmm, interesting. Like, you know, like, it's like, so when you ever get asked occupation, sometimes on here he's like, uh, a prophet? And they're like, of who? <laughs> what have you done to us? Right? Like, that's, I'm sure that's what they're thinking. And they said to him, tell us whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Well, obviously you don't fear him enough. <laughs> I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So again, see, see what I'm saying here. He understands who God is. He understands what power God holds and he chose to sleep. He, it's, like, it's like sitting on the vaccine, right? Like, it's like sitting on a cure for something. It's like sitting on, you have a cure for cancer, and you're like, I'm going to just sleep in the bottom of the boat and not worry about it during this, this difficult season. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid. They're like even more afraid now than they were before. They're like, now we're terrified. Your God ain't no joke. And then they're right. <laughs> they're learning. What is this that you have done? I mean, notice this. God is using these heathen people, these non-believers to talk to Jonah and be like, what have you done to us? Like, why did you get on our boat? Of all the boats you had to get on, you got on our boat. For the men knew, notice this, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so they decide like, hey, what should we do? And as you know the story, 
Jonah, even again, he knows the answer. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know, notice, I mean, you could circle that. I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so the men, notice this, even these, again, these heathen men. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard. They're like, we don't want to do that. I mean, and probably they're terrified of his God and all these things. And they're like, no, let's just row harder. And so they get back on dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more contentious. You see God's hand in this storm is like, nope, you're not rowing to shore because I've got something hanging out in the ocean ready for Jonah. And so therefore they called out to the Lord, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And they're like, please. Okay, we see this is no joke. And so, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Man, but what we see here is, again, and I want you to get this principle, because this is a principle that's in the New Testament. It's throughout Scripture. When we avoid God's calling, we deny people the hope of salvation. What I mean by that specifically is, is look at, is, uh, take your Bible if you have a second um, to look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. So if you have a, a New Testament Bible or a Bible in front of you there, we'll just turn to, to Romans. And in Romans chapter 10, uh, these are some of the great, uh, greatest verses, verses on salvation that we have. Verse 10 and 10, 9 and 10, right? Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So a lot of us have probably memorized a verse like that or have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably done this. You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart, right? You put faith in God. But if you skip down to verse 14, look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But again, if you remember this, don't just see this as just a pastor is the one who's preaching. Like this is preaching here is proclamation. It's proclaiming the gospel, communicating the gospel. Every single one of us can do that, right? And we're all called to do that. And so here he's saying, how beautiful is that? But notice, notice this. Verse 17, so faith, you probably, maybe you've heard this verse before. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through, again, communicating the word of Christ. So listen, what happens when we avoid God's calling, when God is saying, hey, he's given us this great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. What does he, what does he ask us to pray for? He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Why? Because God uses people to communicate the message of the gospel, the hope of salvation. And so when we avoid, when we choose not to, when we hold it to ourselves, when we avoid having that conversation, sharing the gospel, listen, we're we're denying them of that opportunity. Listen, Yes, do I believe that God can work, but can he do something else? Can he use someone different? Can he use another circumstance? Absolutely. But if God calls us to do something, why would we ever not respond? But yet we're often, we can look at Jonah and be like, man, what a fool. Did he really think he could hide from the Lord? Of course not. Like, did he really think that? And we're like, man, what a, like, I would never do that. We do it all the time, don't we? In different ways. When we give in to sin, it's like, oh, maybe... Maybe God didn't notice that one, or maybe he just, he, he doesn't care, uh, or he, he's not going to, whatever. 
to see when we avoid. The first lesson is when we avoid God's call and we deny people the hope of salvation. The second lesson that we can learn from this story is this, and we see this throughout chapter 1 and leading us into chapter 2, is God often uses crisis to draw us back in. Oftentimes, God uses crisis, hardship, difficulty to draw us back in. It's actually grace. Now, if you look at this story, you read chapter one, you're like, where's the grace in all of that? (laughs) Right? Like, he's throwing a storm at him. He's going to, I mean, now he draws a lot. And somehow the lot, like the short straw falls, or the long one, whichever one you do in that situation, I think the short straw is like, is that that falls on Jonah. Is that just by happenstance? No, God is working through that. He's using the storm. He's using these sailors. He's using uh, this whole time on this boat to do a work in him. And so what happens? It says in verse 17, as it leads into chapter 2, and the Lord appointed, notice again, God's sovereignty, his work here, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We see he is now at a point of desperation. (laughs) I can't think of a I'm sure there's plenty of more desperate situations, but inside of the belly of a whale or fish or whatever this thing is, this great fish, uh, seems like a good opportunity to throw a few Hail Marys and a few just uh, uh, desperate prayers. And so it says this in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, "I I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried out, and you heard my voice. Notice this, verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Like, I mean, here he is. He said, I mean, thinking, okay, it's over. Like, and actually, I think he maybe even want this. We're going to see in a second when we look at chapter 4, we're going to see his, his heart in a second that I think is an important thing for us to learn from this passage but here he's, I've driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, when, but here's what oftentimes we do. When we go through crisis, what happens is usually it's a make-or-break situation for most people. It either draws people closer to God, they go more to God, or they leave. They, they go the other direction. They say, God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. God doesn't notice me. I'm, I'm worthless. This is, or, or he's just an angry God, and there's no reason to worship him. Because why would I worship him? He keeps making bad things happen in my life. And so it can lead you to go one way or the other. Here Jonah cries out to the Lord in this prayer. He's like, while my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I want to encourage you, when you're going through crisis, when you're going through difficulty, remember the Lord. This is why it's so important for us to look back, right? We look back. Why did, over and over again, the people of Israel, the the different fathers, the different people, they would, what do they do? Remember, they would put up altars. They would put up these stones and these things. Why? They would remind themselves of how God provided why would they have these feasts? Why would the Israelites have this feast of Passover? 
Why? Because they were reminding themselves of how God had rescued them. Because they needed that when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And they're going, where's the water? Where's the food? They needed to remind themselves of God's previous, how he was working. So we always look back, but we also look forward too. Because for us, we look forward to one day when there is no more pain, when there is no more suffering. We look to a better future and a better hope beyond this world. Not a, a better situation, like... Uh, debt-free or out of uh, a difficulty. Like, no, we don't just look past those things. We look future, future, like beyond this life. And see, God often uses crisis to draw you back in. And here he does that. But how's it, what's man's response? What is our response? Our response should be repentance. We should be repenting just as Jonah does. Repenting and trusting in the Lord, because verse 9 tells us, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, chapter 2, verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then it tells us in verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So look at our, our third lesson we're going to learn here as we look at chapter 3 is this. God can even use dutiful obedience to bring salvation. So two words there, dutiful obedience. Here Jonah has been called out, right? So chapter one, it tells us, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, right? So he gives him a call. He says, I want you to go. Here's his second chance. Here's your second opportunity because it says again in verse three, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And this time, verse 3 tells us, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So he goes, right? I mean, this is so far, except with some extra details, basically that's our children's storybook Bible is now he goes and the way, as if Levi were to come down here right now and tell you the story of, of Jonah, he would tell you up to chapter 3. And what we're going to see is the he goes, he preaches, the people repent. And that's how the storybook Bible ends. It ends with the people of Nineveh repent. And it's like, yes, that's great. And it is. But what we're going to see about Jonah's heart is his, his love for God isn't quite there. It's not all the way there yet. Because what we're going to see in a second is exactly why he didn't go in the first place. Because look at, look at, look at this. So what happens is this. It's really remarkable. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. A reminder, if you didn't know. And how big it was when it talks about great. It would take you about three days journey in breadth. So just in the city, walk the city. It's going to take you three days to walk it from one side to the other. I mean, this is a, a giant city in a terrible city. And he's just going to walk through and look what he's going to proclaim. He calls out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's the only words we get. I mean, sure, maybe there was more to the message. I'm sure there was more to the message. But I don't know for sure, so I can't say I'm sure. This is what he said. Maybe he just had a megaphone, he just walked through, yet 40 days, right? I'm sure he told them about God, because what we're going to see is how they respond. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I mean, from the king. Look, look. Verse 6, the word reaches the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. I mean, here he goes through. He's like, okay, God, I got, I got it, right? You sent, you sent a storm. You threw, they threw me out. You made the, the short straw fall on me. I get thrown out. A, a giant fish swallows me. 
I cry out to you because, I mean, what else are you going to do if you're in the belly of a fish? Uh, and so sure enough, this, this is, he's spit out on dry land, and then God comes to him again and says, I want you to go back to that city. And so he does, he does. But I would say he does it more dutifully, like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do because God has told me to do it, I'm supposed to do it. So he goes, and sure enough, God uses his obedience, right? Because think about it. Think about what stood. This is, I think, really important for us as we talk about living sin. What stood between the people of Nineveh and repentance and faith in God? Ultimately, salvation. Yes, it was their sin, but I would even argue it was Jonah stood in the way between Here's God's coming. He wants to forgive these people, but he's going to use Jonah to go. And so when, all that time, the time between him fleeing and the people repenting, those people didn't hear the gospel. They didn't hear the good news. They didn't hear that, that, I mean, that wrath of God was coming and they needed to respond. They didn't know those things. And so they, Jonah was standing in the way of their repentance but here's the thing. He does go, but he goes, I would say, more dutifully. He goes more out of obligation, like this is what I'm supposed to do. God has told me to go, and so I go. And he does, and God works, right? Because why? Go back to chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen, all Jonah had to do was be faithful. Just be faithful to declare the message. Proclaim the good news. Tell the people what they need to hear. God will save. God will do the work, not him. He doesn't need to save and clean them up and fix them up and all that stuff. God's going to do that work for them. God, salvation belongs to the Lord. And this leads us to what I want to say with this third or fourth point. A fourth lesson is this. But what God, so God can even use dutiful obedience to bring salvation, but what God desires is a gospel-motivated obedience. It's really a new kind of obedience, it's a gospel motivated. It's, a, it's a, a love for God and what God has done in your life. And now I'm motivated, my obedience, my trust in God, the, the reason I do things, the motivation behind what I do, the reason I go to work and I, I pay attention to the needs around me as I pay attention to our community and trying to share the love of Christ with it. It's gospel motivated. It's not dutiful anymore. Because what we learn is, what we le don't learn in the child, child Christian, the, the 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 child Bible stories, is we don't learn chapter four because what we find in, at the end of chapter three is when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So again, God uses dutiful obedience. He goes, maybe he doesn't have the right heart, but He goes, and sure enough, God relents of the disaster. But look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, but it this, they just repented. This evil nation has put, even the king has repented. And God says, okay, I'm not going to punish them. Chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I mean, listen, I, I've, I've pastored for about 15 years, and I don't know of a time that I've ever been angry when someone repented. Like, I'm ecstatic. You know, we're ecstatic when we see life change happen. When people come to know God and believe in God, put their faith in Christ, maybe for the first time, when their eyes are open, you're like, like you could bounce off the walls. You could float in the air or something. But here he's displeased. And notice it tells us exactly why. Chapter 2, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? <laughs> you can like hear it in his voice, right? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Now, to catch that, why did he go to Tarshish? Most of us would say, like, I would say, if, if God came to me and told me to go to Afghanistan right now and just walk the streets, if I could even get in the country and just walk the streets and proclaim, I would also want to run. I would even run to California, right? <laughs> right? Like, yeah, exactly. To the ends of the earth. <laughs> right. But anyways, but like, you know, we would run because we would think death is going to come. Like, I don't want to die yet. God, I don't want to die so young, even though I'm not that young anymore. Like, you know, it's like, I don't want death to happen. We're finding out that's not the reason Jonah didn't go. Jonah didn't go because he thought it was a death sentence. He went because he actually knew about who God was. He knew God was gracious. I mean, he's going to say it right here. Look. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I know these truths about you. You are gracious. You are kind. You are, you are more than merciful. You're going to forgive them. I don't want you to forgive them. <laughs> like, pour out your wrath, God. Destroy them. They're an evil people. They've killed family, friends, loved ones. They've been brutal to us. God, don't forgive them. I'm no, I don't want to be a part of this because I know you're going to forgive them. And if I tell them, again, notice Jonah is standing in the way of the people's repentance and faith. So listen, what, what is it that God desires? God desires us to have a heart like his. This leads us really to that first response. Our lives should be shaped by the love and compassion of God. That's our first response there. So our response, our lives should be shaped by the love and compassion of God. Of God. You see, our lives, we should be mimicking our Savior. When He goes to the prostitute, when He goes to the tax collector, when He even confronts the sin of the religious people, of the elites, the, the lawgivers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, when He confronts them in their sin, He's doing that not in, I mean, yes, there's, you see a righteous anger, but He's doing it to try to wake them up from their sin. It's actually grace. And we should be mimicking that too. But that's, that's not Jonah. That's not Jonah in this story. And it, but uh, hey, again, let's not look down so much on Jonah and let's look at our own heart. How many times are we standing in the way of other people who are different than us, that have different views than us, who talk differently, act differently? Do we, do we like, man, God, we just put judgment on those people? Are we ones who are like, mm, man, I don't really want to tell them because, you know, they deserve it. When in my heart, it's like, man, do I deserve God's love? Do I deserve his compassion? Do I deserve his goodness? So the second response is this. We need to repent and believe the gospel because it really is. So we need to repent and believe the gospel because it really is for everyone. It is for everyone. We repent and believe the gospel because it really is for everyone. It's for the sailors. The gospel is for the sailors that he was on that boat. He could have talked to those guys about God. He could have shared the hope, but what was he doing? He's sleeping. You see, the gospel was for those sailors. The gospel was for Nineveh, all the way from the king to the lowest servant. But the gospel is also for Jonah. You see, this whole story is God's pursuit. I mean, you see, you could again, we could change the outline and just focus on the attributes of God in this story. And we want to draw those things out because we want to worship God and see God is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And we should praise him for that. 
not be upset at him for it. So listen, we need to repent. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we need to believe the gospel. The, the Bible tells us in Romans 1.16, it is the power of the gospel. Listen, it has power. It is, it is so much power that it has power to transform a broken, depraved heart and turn it into a heart that loves and mimics God's love and compassion that we're seeing with our first response. We need to repent. Maybe, maybe Jonah needed to repent. Jonah needed to have a really, like, a, a, a proper, he, he, didn't, he didn't need a proper view. He had the right view. He knew who God was. He knew that he would do these things. But his heart hadn't been gripped and changed to where he had the compassion and the love that Jonah did. And so, man, we need to believe this gospel, put our hope in him. And then, think about it, this, it's for everyone. Everyone in this story needed the hope of God. It needed God's changing, changing work through the power of his word. And the third response is this, if salvation is the Lord, this should lead us to radical prayer. If salvation is really of the Lord, this should lead us to radical prayer. Because if we're saying that in verse chapter three, or chapter two, verse nine, that salvation belongs to the Lord, what should our response be? Man, if God does the work of saving, why would I not be praying for the people around me, for their salvation, co-workers, neighbors, friends, relatives, people who are lost, people who are far from God? Why would I not, if God, if salvation belongs to the Lord, if God does the work of salvation, why would I not be crying out to him to save a broken people? Why would I not? It should change our life. It should change the way we do prayer. We should be more prayerful. We should be crying out to God. But this story kind of just ends really sadly. I mean, it tells us this. Jonah went out. I want to end it with this because most of us have never even probably read chapter four. Jonah went out of the city, verse five. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. I mean, he's a pity party. God just relented of disaster. He just preached a message. He just walked three, whatever that is. I mean, just a long three days journey through this town preaching and the people and even the king respond you would be ecstatic and he's going to have a pity party builds a booth for himself there he sat under it in the shade till he should say see what would become of the city it's like if he set up a booth and let's just watch lord please just keep bringing your wrath anyways <laughs> jonah went out of the city and sat there and it tells us that it might be a shade over so now the lord god appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might be a shade over his head so he Again, see how God's working. God can control the sea, he can control a plant, he can control, we're going to see in a second, a worm. It says this, so Jonah was exceedingly glad, like, ah, oh, nice, some shade, thanks God. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, notice again, appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. <laughs> when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching heat. Again, appointed, he's over the sun, he's over weather, he's over the sea, he's, God has all power. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. <laughs> and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And notice this, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant. Notice this. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Notice this, verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and for some reason it ends with this, and also much cattle. It's a weird ending, but it's a remarkable story. It's a story of God's power, his sovereignty, but also his use of people. And he didn't give up on Jonah either. He's trying to teach Jonah a lesson here. Jonah's, like, there's been books written. I think Tim Keller wrote a book called Prodigal Prophet, connecting this story and how you could outline this story to be very similar to the prodigal son in the New Testament. That here, Jonah's acting like the elder brother here, angry over God's forgiveness of a people who don't deserve it. Man, this should lead us to, listen, for three responses I've already said. I want to repeat them. Our lives should be shaped by the love and compassion of God. We need to repent and believe that gospel because it really is for everyone. And if salvation is of the Lord, this should lead us to radical prayer. That's my hope for these people. That's my hope for this world. That's my hope for this community. That's my hope for me that I wouldn't have a heart like this either. That I would not be like, God, why, man, those people, they don't deserve it. People have these kind of views or live this kind of lifestyle. They don't deserve your love. And would, would, would I stand in the way of that? And we need to be living sin. Don't run from God's calling. Here he called Jonah to a specific task. But in the New Testament we're given, we're all given this calling to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's not stand in the way. Let's show and let our lives be shaped by the love of compassion of God. Let's repent. Let's call people to repent and believe in the gospel. And let's pray if we really believe that salvation is of God, that God is going to do the work of saving. Why would we not be praying? Why would we not trust in God? So that's my challenge this week. Um, I'm going to pray uh, and, and just we'll kind of close our time today because I think the kids are going crazy too, ready to go home as well. So let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for uh, your gospel, the good news that Jesus came into our world, died the death that we deserved and came and rescued us and died and was buried and rose again on the third day, just like Jonah here is in the belly of this fish for three days. God, may our lives be marked by your love and compassion. What great God you are, that you would look on these people with pity, that you would look on them with compassion, that you would even give them the opportunity to repent. There are millions and millions of people all over the world. There's billions of people who don't even know you. God, help us to not stand in the way of their repentance. May we go as you have called us to do. May we make your gospel known to the end, uttermost parts of the world. Help us in these things, and we ask you in your son's name. Amen.